You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Paul making his way back toward Jerusalem that he might make it there for Pentecost. Uh, And he is is in Miletus while he's there on his way back. He calls for the elders of Ephesus. Doesn't have time to, to make it over to Ephesus and meet with the whole church that he loves so much. But he knew that he, he not only had time, he needed to make time to pour into the elders, the leaders of the church there in Ephesus. And so uh, there in verse 17 from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they'd come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I've gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul begins this, uh, this exhortation to the elders really with more remembering what his life, what manner of life he lived among them. The transparency of his life, that he was an open book, that all things he did in their midst was above board. A good exhortation to the church leaders today here that we would just be open books, living in a glass house. We already are if you're a leader in this church, but to not be afraid of that, rather to welcome it and say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ, serving the Lord with all humility, not holding back anything that is helpful. We see an urgency in Paul that, man, night and day ministering, Publicly and privately, house to house, not holding back anything helpful, specifically that pertaining to the word of God. He was innocent of the blood of all men. Anyone that came in contact with him had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, knew what Paul was about. Paul was about Jesus, and he had not shunned to declare the whole counsel of the word of God. And a beautiful way to, to, to be able to say that is to take a church verse by verse, line upon line through the word of God, not shy, you know, shying away from the tough issues that, that come across us as we get to the text, but pressing into it and being faithful to the text. You know, there's the temptation as a pastor to fear men and to be afraid of Mr. A and Mrs. B and, you know, their presuppositions and their, you know, where they're at in their life. When you get to the text, it's so easy to just say, oh, let's just not go there this time around. But, you know, to be a faithful pastor, to be a faithful teacher, man, you gotta, you gotta be faithful to the word, not be faithful to men or women. Proclaim the gospel 
confront people with their sin and tell them the hope of a Savior. Taking them through the Word, He was faithful to declare to them the whole counsel of the Word of God. Line upon line, as Jesus says, not one jot or tittle of my Word will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but none of my words, even the smallest iota, the smallest punctuation mark, it's going to come to pass. And so we meditate upon it. We chew upon it. We observe it. We interpret it according to the rest of Scripture. Uh, and, uh, and we apply it to our lives. And so that was just something we studied last week. Paul's uh, transparency, his, in, his urgency, his integrity that he showed there in Ephesus. And then today we just come into some fresh ground today in verse 28 where he has this exhortation to the elders to take heed to the flock. You know, we're looking at him exhorting these spiritual leaders And it's no secret within the church that a spiritual leader can make an astonishing difference. If they're faithful, if they're transparent, if they're urgent. But without good leadership, chaos will follow. So often problems within the church come from poor leadership. You know, as I teach this text today, it's just so convicting because I know I right now don't measure up to how Paul was or and so many other men in my life and men in your life. And man, I just I don't want to be content with where I'm at as a pastor, as an elder. I just want to go higher up and further in and be better for Jesus, be better for the kingdom. I can't do that in my own strength. So pray for me, you guys, that I would be uh, an Acts 20 leader, an Acts 20 pastor. Pray for Chad and Kevin and and the men of this church, that they would rise up to be Acts 20 leaders. Pray for the the men and women that are serving as deacons in this body, that you know they would be Acts 20 leaders. Pray these things that we're going to read today into your leaders. Pray them into me and demand them from me. Demand them from Kevin and Chad and Stuart and you know each ministry head. Demand them from us, but then don't just leave it at praying and demanding. Follow it through with imitating. Follow it through with imitating. As Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. And we're going to come back to this verse. But then it goes on to say, Whose faith follow. Follow those who are serving and ruling over you. But Paul says here in verse 28, He says to these elders, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. First of all, elders, take heed to yourselves. Servants, take heed to yourself. You know, the minister often neglects his personal walk with the Lord while focusing on the ministry. But pastors and elders, and it just trickles down throughout leadership, they need to be diligent to the spiritual discipline of self-examination. Lord, how am I doing in these things? How am I doing in my time with you, in my reading of the word, in my prayer life, in my worship life? You know, I'm encouraging the the flock. I'm encouraging the church to to go farther and higher for you, Lord, and and deeper in intimacy and, and, you know, higher in, in level of passion for you and faithfulness and availability. Lord, how am I doing? You know, the the Lord cares about the minister 
just as much as the ministry. In fact, he cares about the minister more so because the ministry, you know, it, it, it is affected by the minister's personal spiritual walk and spiritual growth. And so an exhortation here to these elders to have a deep relationship with the Lord so that they then can have a ministry of impact. You know, if you are a servant, you need to be poured into before you can be poured out. Something I've just carried with me just from my youth, you know, just a, kind of a little mini shepherd in high school as I had a high school Bible study and taught the youth group in Lakeview and just always was <clears throat> by grace, you know, serving and, and able to help and wanting to help and serve and teach the word. and But always knowing just the truth that as a shepherd, you know, the flock will never go farther than the shepherd takes them. You know, the shepherd has to be there. You can't expect the flock to go to this great place if you're just wanting to stay, you know, back in the shadows or stay back in the dry land. So take heed to yourselves first. What a good word for our children's ministry leaders and our youth leaders and our youth pastor and our elders and our worship team. You know, in, in the personal life, take heed to yourselves. Grow in that intimate just quiet time with the Lord, that personal growth. But then also he says, and take heed to yourselves and to the whole flock, to the whole flock. You know, um, I kind of thrown it out there a few times already, but uh, there's, there's metaphors within the scripture of the relationship between the church and and, and the Lord, the church and, and God. And in scriptures, we see these as a bride and the husband, the church being the bride and the Lord being the husband, um, a body and the head of the body, the body having many members within it, just as a church has many members, many people with different functions and giftings and talents and roles. And, and then the head of that body, who is Christ, Colossians 1.18 tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, tells us that Christ is the head of the church. Another picture in the scriptures is a family made up of sons and daughters with a father. With a father. Another picture of branches that are connected to the vine in John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Have your home in Jesus as a branch is connected and finds its home in the vine. Another picture, fields and crops and a harvest. And the one who makes it grow, the Lord makes that field grow. He brings the increase. A building and a pillar. And, and then you have the builder and the foundation of that building. A temple made up of living stones. And each one of us you know, is a, is a stone within that building, within that temple. And priests within that temple. We all, if you're in the church, you make up that church and yet the Lord is the foundation of the church. And then today we come to this beautiful, fun metaphor in the scriptures. And that is a sheep flock and the shepherd, a flock and its shepherd. As Psalm 95, seven says, he is our God 
And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You kind of want to sing it, don't you? And the sheep of his hand, just the sheep. Okay, we won't. Um, You guys aren't into it today. And so take heed to yourselves and to the flock. Take heed and be watchful over the flock, the flock of God. And then it says, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Might know who is it that has appointed these elders to oversee this flock? It's the Holy Spirit. There's an appointing by the Holy Spirit. An entrance into the pastoral ministry is only through divine appointment. And this fact demonstrates the important nature and worth of the pastoral ministry. As they're told there by Paul that they need to shepherd the flock of God. You know, when you look at just in depth what that means, it's not just theologically interesting, but as a church, it's just vitally important. It's practically vital for the church. And so if you're taking notes with that sweet little piece of paper that was in your bulletin today, should have put pens in there, I'm sure, but you'll figure something out. As you look in the scriptures, the word elder and bishop and shepherd and pastor are all words that are used uh, you know, to describe the same person. They're used interchangeably within the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, in Acts chapter 20, we see it uh, beautifully laid out for us. And they all speak of the same office. We have the word elder used here a few times. Look in verse 17. And that word elder in the Greek is presbyteros. Or in plural, presbyteroi. And it refers to his spiritual maturity. Not necessarily his age. It's not older necessarily. Elder. Speaking of his spiritual maturity. Presbyteros. Then we have in verse 28 the word overseer, which can also be translated bishop, or which really just that word bishop or episkopos in the Greek uh, refers to his work in the ministry. Okay, his work in the ministry. That is that he is the overseer or the see overer. He sees over these things or he watches over these things. So verse 28, we see the word overseer used and bishop. First Timothy chapter three, verse one tells us that this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And so just an encouragement to, to you men out there. You know, not everyone is, is called to do that. Some guys more they're calling is a, a deacon type Ministry, others, you know, you read Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, there's just different callings. But, you know, right now we're at a place where we've got, you know, three elders uh, for a congregation of 200 something. And I don't really know the exact figures, but, you know, three elders watching over that many people, overseeing that many people. And, you know, we're just praying, Lord, raise up leaders. Lord, show us how we can raise up leaders. We want to develop leaders. And on our end, there's that responsibility to be, you know, raising up and seeing the calling and the gifting and encouraging that. And yet, you know, some of you just, you, you have that desire in you. And that's a good thing. And I just want to encourage you to 
to foster that, to stir that up, to press into that calling. If you have that desire, just recognize it. Man, that's, I feel like that's a call on my life and I really haven't been doing anything to foster that or to stir that up. And so I just encourage you, man, look at what Paul tells Timothy. If you desire that position or that office, you know, that's a, you're desiring a good work. And yet for us as elders, we don't just randomly pick people and lay hands on them and pray for them and appoint them as elders. But we look for guys that are already, uh, that are already doing it and say, Hey, you're already elding. You're already overseeing. And, and so we're just going to lay our hands on you and say, you're already doing it. You know, and, and so just join us in the office and, and be faithful to oversee the flock. There's, you know, there's a lot more that goes on with that. And, and if you have that desire, come and talk to us because we want to pour into you. But sometimes we just, we don't know. We'd like to help develop that in you. So elder, speaking of his spiritual maturity, bishop, episcopos, referring to his work in the ministry that he oversees. And then we also see in verse 28, the word shepherd, which is the Greek word poimen. And it's also translated pastor, pastor. And this, this word shepherd or pastor refers to his care of God's people, his tending of the people, his shepherding of the people, his feeding of the people. And really that chief responsibility of the overseer is that he's there to feed and to tend the flock. If you'll flip over with me to John chapter 21, verse 15. Love to hear those thin little Bible pages flipping. John chapter 21, verse 15. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. You might underline that. Feed my lambs. Said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Said to him, tend my sheep. Said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, as a shepherd, as a poyman, as a pastor, there's to be that feeding of the sheep, attending of the flock. And in that, it's such an expression of a love uh, of, from, a, from a pastor to Jesus. Man, I love you, Lord, and I love your flock. I love your body. I love your bride. I love your branches. You know, I love your temple made up of a whole bunch of different stones. I love this church that you've purchased with your own blood, as Paul says there in Acts 20. And so I'll pour out my life, Lord, in, in feeding and tending the flock. And that's kind of an area where the church is aired today. Not kind of, it is an area where the church is aired today. And that is in feeding the flock. Philosophy and political agenda has just pushed out the teaching of the Word of God, the, the feeding of the meat and the milk of the Word. And it's taken the place of teaching the word. But when you feed the flock and you cause them to be healthy and mature, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. It's just, 
so encouraging to see some of the new faces around here of people that are being discipled and poured into. I encourage you as a sheep who's getting fed and getting all your vaccines here at Calvary Chapel, you know, and, and getting protection uh, here at Calvary Chapel to, to go out and find those other sheep and, that are out on the straggling, you know, and, and bring them in. Bring them in. As we look at this word here, the shepherd and elders and bishops and overseeing, as Paul just exhorts them that they need to shepherd the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. We want to note that shepherding has the connotation of ruling. As you look in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, the prophecy of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, as Herod is told, he's going to come out of Bethlehem as it's written in Micah. You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. A shepherd is a ruler. In Hebrews 13, 7, if you'll flip over there, second time we've referenced it today, but looking at the whole verse, Hebrews 13, 7, and we'll look at verse 17 there as well, says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. So if you're having the word of God just washed over you and taught to you, there's a ruling that is happening. You're to remember those who've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. You might underline that. Imitate them, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then if you'll jump down 10 verses to verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You know, uh, just the subject of authority and ruling, it's just kind of something that's hush-hush nowadays. It's something that's something you just don't want to talk about. You know, in our innermost nature, we want to step away from the authority that God's given us and placed over us. As a kid, you don't want to obey your parents. As a teen, you don't want to obey your teachers. As an employee, you, you have a hard time obeying your employer. It goes all the way into the marriage relationship and the submission that we're told is there. A co-submission in Ephesians chapter 5, but also that order of the husband being the head of the home, the husband being the head of the wife we see there in Ephesians and in First Peter and so within our society, both in, on a moral level, level, on an academic level, just there's such, you know, on a, on a, on a sexual level and, and God's standard for sexuality, there's such a rebellion against authority. You know, nowadays it's all about, you know, relativity, whatever floats your boat or contingency, you know, well, let's just see what ends up happening. And, you know, and, and, you know, people just don't want to submit to uh, any authority, let alone the authority uh, of the word of God, the word of God that is spoken by the authority, Jesus Christ. People don't want to bow the knee to him. They don't want to submit to him. And that has that effect throughout all the rest of the relationships in society and all the rest of the conduct within society. And yet the scripture says, you know, hey, God's a God of order. It's not a matter of worth, but it's a, it's a matter of, of order. It's a matter of role. 
And so you'll see as you, you know, read Ephesians chapter five and six that in the home, there's that, that order, husband, wife, children, employee, employer, you know, uh, in the scriptures, you know, shepherds, chief shepherd, shepherd, flock. There's a connotation of ruling there. And those that are being ruled should be submissive, should be obedient because their shepherd watches out for their souls. It's an important task. It's, it's something that they're going to have to give an account, it says. Those that are shepherds are going to stand before, we're going to get to it in a little bit, the chief shepherd, just as a husband is going to stand before the Lord and he's going to present his wife as a spotless bride. So is the shepherd going to stand before the Lord and present the flock, a spotless flock. That's the idea, <laughs> hopefully. Praying for that, striving for that, crying out for the spirit to work that out. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul tells Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. So some of the overseers, you know, they, they might not have like so much of a gift of teaching, but they're still overseers. They're still uh, helping watch over the flock. Others have more of the role of, of teaching and that's kind of preaching and that's kind of more of, of the role for them. But, you know, all the elders who rule well should be counted worthy of double honor. The context is that of financial honor, uh, but no doubt uh, just, you know, that that love and that respect as well. You know, also in first Timothy, you know, Paul says that, you know, that, that there shouldn't be a charge brought against an elder except for two or more witnesses, you know, and so often within the church today, there's just murmuring and bickering against an elder, against a pastor, against a leader. It's just, you know, backbiting and slandering and, and you know, how often do you say, Hey, you know, oh, I'm sorry, man, but gosh, I I just probably shouldn't receive that. You know, I, I think I'm not supposed to receive that. Could you go talk to them? You know, uh, Paul told Timothy, don't, don't let an accusation be brought, but by two or three witnesses, two or more witnesses. So man, I, I just don't want to be, go talk to them first. Okay. And, um, and, you know, and it goes on to say for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the labor is worthy of the wages. But with all that being said, and that's a hard thing to talk about, you know, and, and, uh, but you know, the, the thing is it's there in the word, the word is our authority. There's a ruling connotation there for the shepherd over the flock. And yet that ruling is not how the world rules. And that's a relief for all of us. As you flip to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders, or presbyteros, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of God, or of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that we will be revealed shepherd, kind of getting a bunch of these words, poimeno, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers or bishops, episcopos, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples 
to the flock. And when the chief shepherd or the arch poimo appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And so this ruling, just as Christ is head of the church and the husband is the head of the wife and the shepherd is shepherding the flock, this ruling is not this lording over way that the world likes to lord. It's a, an example of service. As Jesus says in, you know, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a humility in the service. There's a being examples to the flock. There's not a, hey, build me a big old throne and let me sit on it and everyone will come and I will rule over them like some kind of, you know, king or something like that. You know, but rather, man, there's a service. There's a laying down of a life. As, as John chapter 10 tells us, the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. As Paul says in Philippians, man, I've poured out my life as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And I'm glad and I rejoice. And so, you know, just as within a marriage, you know, there's a co-submission, but within that role, the husband is the head and, and the wife in, in finality needs to submit and respect the husband. And that as the husband loves her, as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5 says, then that wife is just going to, man, it's just going to be a natural thing to submit to that kind, godly leadership. And, and it's just like this circle, husband loving the wife as Christ loved the church, uh, wife loving and respecting the husband, hoving, husband, hoving. You know, loving the wife as Christ loved the church, you know, and and it's just a picture of the church. So forth as a shepherd is loving and pouring out his life and and feeding and tending the flock and providing that protection and that nourishment and that tending that is needed that those sheep are going to want to be around the shepherd. And, you know, it's not this like, you know, this ruling over this, get my whip out and beat you, get my hot shot out and zap you, you know, but man, this, this loving leading by example in fact, the first phrase there in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, it says, The elders who are among you, in verse 2, uh, shepherd the flock of God. Literally, in the King James Version says, feed the flock of God. Feed the flock. Tend the flock. Love on the flock. But you'll notice that to shepherd the church of God, we want to look at the, the church being the flock. That word church there in verse 28 there at the, towards the end there, uh, it, it speaks of called out ones, shepherding the called out ones. And the church is the assembly of God's called out ones. So often we think of the church as a building or as a structure, as an organization, not an organization, but the church is an organism, a living, breathing organism. As Mark Driscoll and Gary Preshears looked at the scriptures, they, they came up with a good definition of the church, that the local church, the local church, the local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to scripture, they organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of communion, and baptism are unified by the spirit 
are disciplined for holiness and scatter to fulfill the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. And so wherever there's an assembly of God's called out ones that have obedience to scripture, organization or qualified leadership, gather for preaching worship, observing the sacraments of communion and baptism, unity within the spirit, discipline for holiness and out fulfilling the great commission. That's really a church meeting. It's a giant home fellowship, you know, or a home fellowship where those things are happening. There are house churches out there that are that are doing these things and they're the church. They're a church there. You know, there, there needs to be those those things that we see the 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 organizing under qualified leadership and such, as we see here that uh, these shepherds were to shepherd the church. As you look at the church, I want to give you just eight points of being part of the church or being part of the flock. Number one, regeneration. It's the first and most important paramount thing in being part of the flock, being part of the church. Regeneration. You need to be a Christian. You need to be born again. Being part of the church is something that doesn't happen externally through your works, through your labor, through your toil, or through your sweat. But it happens when, when the Holy Spirit of God regenerates your life. When you're born again, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, you're born again. And in Jeremiah, we're told that the Lord takes out our old heart of stone and puts in us a new heart of flesh that can know God and hear God and commune with God. That moment of regeneration, a person puts their faith in Christ in such a way that their sins have been forgiven. They've been placed upon Jesus on the cross and Jesus' righteous, perfect life is placed upon us there at that moment of regeneration. At that moment, you become really a member of the church of God, part of the flock. Regeneration, being born again, the most important. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you been regenerate? Have you put your faith in Christ Have you rested upon him in his righteousness? Or are you still holding on to something that you've done? Something that you've been? Some part of your past? Someone you know? None of that matters. What matters is your faith, your belief, your trust. Do you trust in Jesus that it's by his grace, his free gift that you're saved? It's by his righteousness that you're made righteous, not your own. Today, right now, don't don't have to wait for anything. Right now, put your trust in him, rest in him. Say, Lord, that's what's been wrong. I've been putting it all in what I've done and what I've been and where I've come from. Whoa, that was dumb. Lord, I put it on you. Right now, in in the middle of the Bible study, you can do that. You can be born again where you're at. You can have a new heart placed within you. You can be part of the flock. You can be part of the body. You can be part of the temple. Be part of the the branches. Regeneration, key, paramount. The number one part of being part of the body of Christ. Number two, qualified leaders, elders and deacons. 
Number three, gathering together the ecclesia, the assembling or the meeting for preaching or teaching, as Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. There's an assembling of ourselves together, and that doesn't just mean gathering, that means assembling. Putting us together as we come together, we each are part of the body and when we come together, the hands are functioning as the hands and the feet as the feet. And, the, you know, and when we're apart, we're still functioning. Assembling, being built up into that body. The sacraments, communion and baptism. Unification in the spirit. We're agreeing on what we fight about and what we divide about. You know, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have charity and grace and love. And there's certain things within the scriptures that we hold to in this church. We will not move an inch. Listen to our doctrine series. The deity of Jesus, the Trinity, the creator, God, the creator, you know, the inspiration and inerrancy of the scriptures, you know, and and then there's other things that, you know, gosh, there's, there's room for difference of opinion in some areas. And we're not going to fight or divide about those things. Lord's grown me in that in some areas. I've, you know, it was pretty dogmatic on some points in my, you know, probably I still have some growing to do, but the Lord's helping me. Or it's probably more of a loose hand issue, buddy. You're holding too tight. Your knuckles are white. Look, just, you know, these people love Jesus. Okay. Okay. You know, um, and, uh, and so, uh, discipline for holiness. Another thing about being part of the body of Christ, just disciplining yourself, bringing your body under subjection, being disciplined for holiness. That's a fruit that just happens when you're part of the church. It's just naturally happening in your life. Obeying the great commission, going, making disciples. It's part of the church. It's what we do. We don't just stay here in these four walls and just, you know, become some kind of a stagnant pond. We go out and we tell people about Jesus. And we obey the commandment to love one another. You know, if you come to this church, but you don't love people and you don't love each other, there's something wrong. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. First John tells us that, man, we, there needs to be a love. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. It's got to be a love. And love overrides, you know, affinity. Uh, what's the word there? Affinity or only liking those who like you. Love overrides that. Love's like, man, I love everybody. I've got the spirit of God in me and he's got agape love. And it's just that agape unconditional love is just by his spirits flowing out of me to love others as well. Shepherd the church. Church is made up of these people that are having these things happen in them, these fruits happening in them. The purpose of this church. Number one, to minister to God in worship. To minister to God and worship. You can just write down Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 1.12. We make the most of our times, Ephesians tells us, by singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord with all our heart. There's a ministry to the Lord as a church. There's a ministry to believers within the church. There's a nurturing and a maturing. As a Colossians 1.28 tells us, this that we warn every man and teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. And really the mission statement of our church in Ephesians 4.11, 
And and it carries out, I'll just kind of touch on the key point in the second half of Ephesians 4.12, that we would, would equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we no longer should be children tossed to and fro and carried about with by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting. But we speak the truth in love and grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. So as the church, we worship. And as the church, we have inreach. We have upreach to the Lord. We have inreach to each other. And the shepherds play a key part in that, feeding the flock. But it doesn't end there. Edifying the body. We could become a perfect man. And outreach, inreach, upreach, and outreach. Ministering to the world, fulfilling the Great Commission. Because it's the church of God. It's the church of God. Why why does this church need to be shepherded? Why do they need to take heed to the flock? In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, because it's the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. You know, this is a verse that the cults don't like. God purchased the church with His own blood. We see the triune God owns the church, bought God's people, and appoints spiritual leader. We see God the Father in that it's the church of God here. We see God the Son in that He purchased the church with His own blood. You might even just mark in your Bible, Trinity. And we see God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit made us overseers or made elders overseers. So we see the Trinity there. But we see that this blood of God bought the church. First Corinthians 6.20, we looked at it last week, that we were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. If you're a Christian today, you name the name of Christ, you've been born again, you've been bought with a price, and listen up, you're not your own anymore. You might as well change your name, you know, just like Saul became Paul and Cephas became Peter, you know, now what's your new name? Might as well change it because you're a new person. (coughs) You live a new life as you've been born again, you're a new creation and you have a new owner. No longer do you own yourself, but Christ owns you because he's purchased you. And first Peter tells us that that purchase price, that blood, you know, Peter tells us we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ Christ is purer than gold or silver. Or a dollar, you know, a dollar bill piece of paper. It's so pure. And because we've been bought with such a pure currency, man, we ought to honor that God with a pure life. He's purchased the church with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, verse 29, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. If Sheep are just fed but not tended, then they're just being fattened up for the slaughter. These shepherds also need to protect the flock and watch out for these wolves, for these savage wolves. You know, these 
Wolves attack the shepherds so often, try to take the sheep. They like power and authority and control. They come into the church. They're dressed in sheep's clothing. And, you know, the the crazy thing is as they eat the sheep, they leave the trail of bones behind them. You know, many of us have been part of churches where wolves have come in and just really destroyed the local church. But as you look at the scriptures, Jesus tells us in Matthew seven fifteen, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. It's the classic, you know, wily e. coyote trick, you know, dressing up in the sheep's clothing inside. They're ravenous. They're just just drooling and ready to eat. And if Jesus says that's what false prophets are like within our midst, we ought to take it seriously. If he says, man, they are, it's not cute Looney Tunes. You know, it's, it's these wolves seek to destroy the church. Jesus says in Matthew 20, after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And the only difference between a sheep and a wolf in sheep's clothing is their diet. You know, the wolves eat the sheep. And so we need to pray for discernment. You know, not that we would, you know, oh, I don't know, you're sounding like a wolf here. But, you know, but Lord, just give us discernment. And when we start hearing murmuring or complaining or backbiting or, or just false teaching, false doctrine, Lord, that we would just have your spirit of discernment within us and have those checks and that we would confront that, you know, that false prophet right then and there with the pure, true authority of the word of God. They come in among you, it says there in verse 29, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. They'll speak crooked things, perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul said in verse 19, it was with many tears that he ministered. And here we see night and day with tears. And man, if you've never shed tears, then two things have happened. Number one, you're not close enough to people and their struggles. Man, as you are close to people, as you are close to their struggles, you will weep with those that weep. You will mourn with those that mourn. You'll rejoice with tears of joy with those that are rejoicing. So examine your life. Man, how close am I to people and to their struggles? Remember around December, we were getting ready for a Wednesday night corporate prayer and worship night. And I knew about John and his neck problems and Julie Erickson and her back and other people that were just going through pain. I just was overwhelmed before the Wednesday night. And I went into my office and I just fell on my floor and I was sobbing like so loud. And I was like, couldn't, I was just so grieved with the pain that my flock was going through, that the Lord's flock was going through. And I just, you know, I was studying this, like, Lord, give me more of that. Give me more just feeling what the people are going through connection with the people. And so if you never shed tears over, over people, then you're not close enough to people and to their struggles, or you are close enough, but you just don't understand the gravity of their situations. May the Lord help us to feel what people are feeling. Psalm 126 verse 5 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. 
As one man said, a great heart is the main qualification of a great soul winner. Paul had that heart night and day with many tears. And you know what? He reaped those sheaves, didn't he? He reaped the harvest. God brought the increase. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He wasn't peddling the word of God. He wasn't in it for a profit. He's coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me serving there in the school of Tyrannus after work in a hard shift, uh, a shift of tent making. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is uh, really the only place that's mentioned in scripture of Jesus's words. And so uh, probably just from the words of the apostles there. Yeah, I remember when Jesus would say it's more blessed to give than receive. It's still blessed to receive. (laughs) not saying it's not, but it's more blessed to give. He speaks that word to these men who are pouring out their lives and will always be giving. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Just this beautiful moment of a goodbye. And they all wept freely, fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Brotherly affection. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you. 